read this morning the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Which I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As far the reading of God's word. I invite you to keep it open as we'll reference this and 
other passages around 1 Corinthians 1 this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we once again thank you for this privilege we have and the opportunity to come worship you today. And uh, we pray for those that could not be with us today, dear Lord. We ask that you lift them up and restore them so they may soon one day be back with us in worship, dear Lord. And as we dive in your word, we just pray for Pastor Bob, dear Lord, and the, the message and the words that you have given him. And just open our hearts and our minds to accept this message and apply it to our lives and learn to live for you, dear Lord. And this we ask in your name. Amen. And amen. So in our series so far on the church, we have uh, looked at the fact that uh, the church is an organized church. It has a head, it has officers. We have looked at the fact that the church are, are those who are called out of darkness into marvelous light. This morning we look at what is the work of the church. What, what is the central work of the church? Now we might say, and, and we could answer it, to bring God glory. That would be an appropriate answer. But this morning we're, we're going to dig a little bit deeper than that and say, by what means does God desire to be glorified by the church? What, what is it that God wants the church to be centered on? What is to be the, at the very core of the life, the ministry, of the mission of the church? Why did God put the church upon earth? Why, why does he put us here? Why is Little Farms here? Why is our denomination here? Why is any church here upon this planet? Why do we exist? What is the mission of the church? Well, we certainly get a hint of that in verse 18 of this chapter. Paul tells us that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Actually, some translations use not the phrase for the word of the cross, but they use for the message, for the message of the cross. It is as if Paul is zeroing us down and saying this message, this word, the, the logos is Christ. As we go back to John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And, and we see that, that beautiful reminder of God has become flesh. The word has become flesh in order to dwell amongst us. The message of the church is very simply put in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's the message. That's the reason the church exists. Christ crucified. The cross, the cross of Christ, that suffering, that pain, that death, 
that substitution is what Paul is saying his whole ministry is about. It is about this message of the cross. Go to verse 23. We hear Paul again. But we preach Christ crucified. This this is to be the center message. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But Paul points out to us that this message is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's an absurdity to to think that through the death of someone, that somebody's dying, not just an ordinary death, but somebody's dying a despicable, horrific, Death. A a death that everyone would look at and say, this is horrible. This person must have done something awful to deserve this kind of death. The world looks at this preaching of the cross, this this Christ crucified, It's being a foolishness. Absurdity. And yes, Paul says, yes, it is. To those who are perishing. To those who are on the verge. No, it's not that they are on the verge. Oh, they're on the precipice. Oh, oh, they they, they might be perishing. Paul says, no, they are perishing. The reason it is folly in the minds of men, the reason this makes no sense, is because they are perishing. See, sometimes we think, well, we got to change the message because obviously it's not getting through. Preaching Christ must not be enough because, look, nobody's coming to faith. Or we have so few coming to faith. Maybe we need to adapt the message. Maybe we need to change the message. Paul says, this is exactly the way it is supposed to be. When you preach the cross, when you preach Christ dying, those who are perishing think this is an absurdity. Why? Because they are perishing. They're not in some neutral ground where we're trying to draw them, you see. They're not in some some neutral territory where somehow our pervasive words or our pervasive words are, are supposed to draw them in and we have to win them for Christ. They're perishing. Not that they're going to perish. Not that they will perish. They are perishing. It is full. It is certain. They are in the very process of the stages of their own destruction. That's why they think the cross is foolishness. 
So would it do any good to change the message? No. They're going to perish anyway. Would it do any good to, to send up balloons? Okay. No. They're going to perish. Would it be any good if the pastor did cartwheels rather than preach Christ? No. They're perishing anyway. To those who are perishing, hearing anything about the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, is just foolishness. But, note the text, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But to us, to those who have heard God's effectual call, to those who are being preserved, to those who are being kept, to those who are being guarded, to those who are being protected, to those who will be spared. Those are all the terms that 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 word saved here means in the text. That cross... It's the power of God. The power there is the same word that Paul uses back in Romans chapter 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. It is the, the dynamos. It is the dynamite. It is the explosive, uncapped power of Almighty God. You want to unleash the power of God into this world? Then we unleash the power of God by preaching the cross. By preaching the death of Christ. To those who are being saved. To those who are going from being effectually called to justified and adopted and sanctified and glorified to those who are on that narrow road, that death of Christ. There, therein lies the power of God. All of the power of God is poured into the message and the word of the cross. Go with me to chapter 2. And we're going to pick up the reading there. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now I want you to see a connection. What is the message of the church? The cross, the death of Jesus Christ. 
Now, why is that the message? Because it is the very testimony of God. It is the very message of God. What is the message that God desires men and women, boys and girls to hear? What does God desire that is heard, that is spoken, that is preached, that is proclaimed? What is the testimony? Verse 2. I proclaim to you the testimony of God. What is it? For I decided to know nothing amongst you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Lord, what would you have your church do? I want you to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. Really, Lord? I mean, there's lots of options. No, preach Christ, Christ crucified. So, so the central message, of, let me get this right, Lord. What you're saying is the central message, the central work of the church is proclaiming Christ crucified. Yes, that's my testimony. That is my word. I want you to proclaim Christ. God, that doesn't make much sense. Notice how Paul says, I came not in man's wisdom. See, this isn't man's wisdom. This, is, this isn't what the collective minds of men would come up with. And aren't we glad? Because what is the wisdom of man? The best of man's wisdom. What is that? What, what does the best of man's look, wisdom look like? You want me to tell you what it looks like? It's a cesspool. Because the best of man's wisdom is still fallen. It is still rotten. It is still decayed. It is still dead. Because it is always self-seeking. It is always arrogant. It is always prideful. It is always unyielding. The best wisdom that man can give the best that human experts can ever come up with. The best that natural man can derive. Is sinful. Imperfect. Unable to save. But God's wisdom. See, that, that's what Paul has been arguing, right? Throughout chapter 1 and now into chapter 2. The cross. No, that's not man's wisdom. No man would come up with the idea of crucifying someone and bringing salvation through that person. That isn't what we'd come up with. We'd come up with Let's walk some old ladies across the street. We'd come up with donate blood. We'd come up with let's do some nice things in our neighborhood. We'd come up with let's save the planet. 
We've come up with a whole bunch of stuff. But would never lead to our salvation. But God's wisdom. <laughs> now think about that. Think about that phrase, God's wisdom. We just came off that, that series of, of messages on the attributes of God. Think about the wisdom of God. Is God's wisdom in, incomplete? Does it lack anything? No. Is God's li- wisdom have any falsehood to it? No. It is perfectly true. God's wisdom is holy. God's wisdom is pure. God's wisdom is loving. God's wisdom is gracious. God's wisdom is compassionate. God's wisdom says preach Christ crucified. The person, the being who can fashion a snowflake according to the rules and laws that he has instituted so that, what did we learn? 500 million Snowflakes were in that, that little bowl last Sunday night. His wisdom, who has fashioned this earth and made it out of nothing. His wisdom, who has put the stars in their places and ordered the planets. His wisdom that calls out of nothing. Everything that is. His wisdom that fashions a human body in such a way that that we just marvel. And even the best of our minds are mystified at how it works and functions yet. His wisdom says, preach Christ crucified. You think we ought to argue with God about this? You think we ought to sit down and have a meeting and decide, you know, I, I, I think there's better ways. Or I think the church has other responsibilities. I, I think there's other things more crucial in the work of the church than this Christ crucified thing. Do you see that that was the problem in Corinth? See, that's what the first part of chapter 1 is about. That's the problem in Corinth. They've lost Christ crucified. Why is Paul talking about this? Why is Paul addressing this? Why is Paul being so emphatic? Because you go back and what happened? Corinth got divided. They got divided over that which was central, over that which was the most important. They got divided over men, over people. There became divisions. Some say they were Paul people. Some people said they were Apollos people. Some people said they were Cephas people. Some people said they were Christ people. Obviously, 
There were people who were missing the message of the church. So Paul has to come and say, hey folks, listen, the testimony of God, the wisdom of God, and the message of the church is to be this, Christ crucified. None of this Cephas stuff. None of this Apollos stuff. Christ and Christ crucified. Because you see, that is the unifier of the church. That's Paul's point to Corinth. It is the message of the cross that unifies you and I together as the body of Christ. But you see, there's so often too many distractions. Too many secondary things that become primary. You see, we live in a day and age of specialized churches. Do you realize that? We, we have specialized churches today. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is in the world today. It's specialized. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Bob? Well, when I give the examples, you'll start figuring it out, right? Specialized. We, we center in youth ministry. That's our, that's our claim to fame. Boy, we have a great youth program. That's, that's what it's all about. We have a great women's ministry. When we do a great job with women. We have a terrific men's ministry. Oh, we, we, par excellence, second to none. Man, we, we as a church, we really know how to minister to men. Oh, we, we, we have a grief ministry. Oh, you have to see what's going on with that, this grief ministry. We have a music ministry. We have an organ. You ought to come hear our organ. Our organ fills that building with sound like none other. Well, we're a psalm singing church. And man, you've never been in a church that can sing like we can. Oh, yeah, but we got some great violinists in our church. you, You ought to come just to hear our violinists. Well, we're an outreach church. We have a food pantry. We, we even built a second building just for our food pantry so people can come and, and get their, their food goods that they need. Well, we have a strong anti-abortion ministry. That's what our church is known for. Well, our church, we're, we're all politically motivated. We're, we're, we're really up on everything that's going on in politics. And man, you come to our church and we can talk you we, we can talk that we're blue in the face about what's going on politically in this world. Well, <laughs> we're a seven-day creationist church. That's what we're known for. All of our teaching, all of our preaching. Yeah, we're, we're seven-day creationists. Well, <laughs> we're all about racial integration. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's so important today, you know. That that becomes perhaps the most important thing for the church today is to be racially integrated. As I said, in their place, in their circumstance, it's not that anything I mentioned is necessarily horrific. It's not that it's bad. It's not sinful. In fact, we'd look at it and say, there are some things there that are, in fact, probably everything has its place. Where is the cross? Where is the cross? That is to be 
the most central work and ministry of the church, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because do you see what happens with all those other things? They all at some point become divisive. They all become divisive. If you have a youth ministry, what does that say to the older folks in the church? Oh, we're not important. If you concentrate and say, we got the greatest women's ministry, what does that say to the men? If you say, we got the greatest men's ministry, what does that say to the women? All of those things can become all of a sudden so divisive so that it's a, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. Just put one of those headings under one of those guys, right? Well, we're the church at Corinth, and we follow Apollos, and man, he's the education guru. He knows all about how education ought to work in the church. We follow him. But it's the cross. The cross is to be that which is the one unifying truth that is that which holds the body of Christ together. It's God's testimony. I declare, I decided to know nothing amongst you but Christ and him crucified. Here is probably the the greatest, as far as our accounts are given to us, in the extent to which he went, missionary in the church of Jesus Christ. What's his message? Christ crucified. But Paul, that's so foolish to talk to Jews about that. They need signs. No, they need Christ crucified. But Paul, that that doesn't make sense in our sophisticated Greek world of today. No, they need Christ crucified. Why, Paul? Why do they need? Because that is the testimony of God. Christ crucified. Because you see, the whole of salvation comes to rest in a proper understanding of what it means. That Jesus Christ died for me. And there is no power, more powerful message that the church can proclaim to the world around it than that Christ died for me. A sinner. A sinner. A perishing sinner. Christ died for me. There is no greater means of evangelism. There are no other books that really need to be written. The book on evangelism has already been given to us. Christ crucified. 
as the church goes out, as you as individual members go out into this world and speak of a crucified Christ, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those whom God has called, to those who God will bring to faith, ha, this is the power of God. This is what will change men's hearts. This is what will change men's minds. And this is what will change men's lives. Christ crucified. Everything that the church does has to come back, has to be centered. And I would pray that until Christ comes again, or for whatever reason God might have for closing the doors of this church, that little farms would be known as what every true church is to be known for. That is the message of Christ crucified. Amen? Amen.